Brought to you by the Positive Aging Community, the leading resource for senior housing, aging in place, and professional resources. For more than 33 years, the Positive Aging Community has fostered a community that helps make choices easier and more accessible. Hello and welcome to the Glowing Older Podcast, where we interview experts on the business of aging well. I'm your host, Nancy Griffin. And I'm so pleased to be here today with Esther Greenhouse, the CEO of Silver to Gold Strategic Consulting. Welcome to the program, Esther. Nancy, thank you so much for having me. Uh, well, thank you. Um, before we dig into Silver to Gold and all that you do, tell us about your background. Well, um, I'm a unique professional. I am an environmental gerontologist. So that means I'm an expert in helping older adults thrive by design. I feel I have a very important mission, which is to change built environments to enable people to maintain their physical, cognitive, and financial independence as they age. It's actually amazing because when you do this for individuals, uh, everyone benefits. So um, my background is... A pretty unique constellation of expertise and sectors. Um, I have degrees in design, gerontology, environmental psychology, and community planning. And I really started on this path at the age of five. My maternal grandmother lived with us, and as her rheumatoid arthritis progressed, her needs changed. And at, when I was about five years old, she started using a walker um, and found that she couldn't get in and out of the bathroom independently because the door to the bathroom was too narrow. And what ended up happening was she needed to move to a facility. And a huge variable was the design of our house. So this set me on a path for really paying attention to the way environments affect our functioning and well-being. And when I was an undergrad looking for schools to um, study at, I found the Department of Design and Environmental Analysis at Cornell. And I read something in the brochure to the effect of design will impact people's behavior and functioning no matter how well or how poorly places or products are designed. And for me, that was an aha moment. So um, that began my career focusing on the impact of the built environment on older adults. So tell us specifically um, what types of services and clientele you work with at um, Silver to Gold Strategic Consulting. So a variety. What, what we provide through our services are education and awareness, inspiration, very critically, we provide paradigm shifting and we provide solutions. And we do this in a variety of ways. We provide trainings, workshops, summits, and forums. Um, I particularly love to develop strategic initiatives. We also advise and consult in a variety of ways, um, particularly on building and community development projects. So that means we work with a wide range of clients, uh, including municipalities and states, senior living and care providers, 
non-for-profit organizations and professional associations. We also work with higher education, corporations, architecture and design firms, and builders and developers. Wow. I mean, I love that this is a, a niche that um, always comes, uh, these brilliant stories, it seems, through a personal connection to a grandparent. Um, and in this case, it, it's so cool how that that one aha moment led to your being an expert in this field globally, which is so cool. So um, talk to us about um, the enabling design approach, which is really something you've developed over the years. Yes. So the enabling design approach was developed at, in response to what I was seeing in the world around me. So... There are three pillars to the enabling design approach. And there's a really nice graphic of this on my website, silvertogoldstrategies.com, um, under the heading of enabling design. And the first pillar is about person environment fit. And this comes from a theory in environmental psychology called the environmental docility hypothesis. And when you distill that theory to its essence, what you have is the goal is to have a good fit or optimal fit between a person and their environment. And when we say optimal fit, what we're looking for is that the, in, the demands of the environment, whether it's a place or a product, should be such that they tap into a person's abilities. We don't want places that are overly demanding or that miss the mark and may place demands on a person, but never tap into what their actual abilities are. And the reason we're striving for optimal fit is because when you have optimal fit, a person can function at their highest level of independence and they can thrive. This doesn't mean that they don't need any supports from other people or um, maybe products or services, but they are going to be at the highest level possible. What we're seeing in our society and actually in many places around the world is poor environmental fit. And that's when there's a gap between what a person's abilities are and what the environment demands of them. So the greater the gap between the environmental demands and a person's abilities, the more the person is subjected to a form of stress called environmental press. And environmental press pushes people to an artificially lower level of functioning by design. That's the first pillar. Now, looking through that lens at the second pillar, which is the status quo, our design standards, conventions, and codes create environments that are ideal for a subset of the population. And that population is the average height male between the ages of 20 and 40. How do we arrive at that very specific um, type of person? Well, it's because we tend to design for the highest physical, cognitive, and sensory abilities. And we also design for this average male height. So in effect, we're creating places and products that 
work really well or create optimal fit for a small subset of the population. Then we ask everybody else to adapt. And one of the populations where we see that most is with older adults. We're asking them, actually, we're not even asking them, we're just forcing them by default to try to function in places that were never designed for them in the first place. Now, I need to back up a little bit and say that it's not just older adults. I myself am five foot one and I have a visual processing disorder. So I'm often struggling with the built environment, reaching things or lighting, and that's not even age related. Um, but in particular, we do see issues with the older adult population. And really what we need to do is radically shift our thinking. We don't have to radically change the way we design. We're not advocating for everyone to live in a spaceship or a geodesic dome or something like that. What's needed is a radical paradigm shift where we understand person environment fit. We understand that the status quo is disabling and that it's costing our society in terms of quality of life and enormous amounts of money. Well, and the caregiver crisis, it occurs to me that it becomes very expensive to deliver care when, uh, and, and then not to mention the decline, cognitive, physical, whatever it is, when you're set against um, a, a hurdle that's insurmountable. Absolutely. You know, I experienced this personally. So the um, continuation of the story that began with my grandmother um, then ended with providing care for my own mother. And one of the ways that began was that um, my husband, who was a custom home builder at the time, and I designed and built a house for my then 80-year-old mother to enable her to successfully age in place. And we didn't do anything radical. There were wider doorways, zero-step entries, um, thoughtful, appropriate flooring without changes in level. Um, in her case, we installed a custom kitchen that was lower height counters because uh, she was very short. And... Um, through those features, as well as a feature she requested, which was a bidet seat, we enabled my mother to delay moving to a facility by five to seven years. Um, you know, we were providing care for her as well as um, occasional aids, though, as you know, being able to count on home health aids uh, in this country at the current time is um, a significant challenge. But not only were we able to give my mother quality of life and enable her to age where she wanted to, but we estimate that those design features and the, the overall design of the house saved the family over $500,000 by delaying the move to a facility. Now, we can also say that if she didn't have um, any money and needed to move to a facility because um, she wasn't enabled to uh, maintain physical independence, 
what would have that cost the government to have her in a, a nursing home um, where she was dependent on government funds? So there, there's definitely, in addition to the human costs, there is a cost-benefit analysis for individuals, families, and society. I mean, it's so wonderful because it, it provided a living lab and your uh, mother didn't probably know that she was the guinea pig, but um, your ability to be able to replicate this for other homes and institutions is um, is really kind of the effect that grows. It's fabulous. Thank you. Um, so, the, you know, some of these answers you're going to give us maybe obvious, some less, but what is standing in the way of what you call equity by design? That's a terrific question. The number one issue is knowledge and awareness. Um, part of my career has been in academia, which I, I thoroughly enjoyed. But one of the reasons that I pulled away a little bit from academia, certainly from research, is that I really felt that the, the concept of person-environment fit, especially coupled with understanding of our disabling status quo, was crucial information that needed to get out there. So that is one of the reasons I created the enabling design approach is to create this paradigm shift. And related to the awareness is my perspective that Society is a closed system of interdependencies. If our housing disables people and creates what I call forced frailty, we pay for that, again, not only in human costs, but through increased long-term care costs. And thinking again about my mom as an example, um, there's data that shows that a 65-year-old woman can expect to pay almost $50,000 more over the course of her life than a 65-year-old man. And there are a variety of reasons for this. Women live longer with chronic diseases, typically about 12 years on average, whereas for men, it's about three years. The other issue is that women tend to be the caregivers. So um, while a man may have his wife and an adult daughter or daughter-in-law available, um, it's less likely that a woman's husband um, will provide care because he may not be alive or he may be unable to. Um, so when we look at things that are happening societally, for example, uh, that fewer people are having children, that there's more divorce, that there is still a gender wage gap. We really need to be concerned about that, the amount of care, uh, the amount of money that people will need as they age. And if we understood this and shifted to enabling design for our status quo of how we build our housing and communities, we would be designing them such that they promote physical, cognitive, and financial well-being and longevity. 
Exactly. And um, I know that there's a myriad of ways that you do that in the built environment. Um, I wanted to segue and ask your opinion as an expert um, in aging and, and design about um, the whole age tech craze and some of the technologies that you find are are really helpful in making a difference in the lives of older adults. Right. This is a terrific question because, um, like you said, there's a craze. There's so much um, attraction to gyrotechnology, and um, I technology can be a wonderful tool and resource. We really need to look at it as to where it can fill those gaps. So again, thinking about this concept of environmental fit and press, where can technology fill that gap between what an environment demands or where can that technology fill the gap in terms of what humans are capable of doing or it's something uh, tasks that are really not ideal for them. Having said that, there is also too much emphasis um, and excitement over technology as a silver bullet or a magic wand that is going to solve everything in age-related needs and long-term care. So while that excitement and investment is important, it needs to shift because it's ridiculous to focus on technology when we're not doing the basics. When we still are building new housing where doorways aren't wide enough, where we don't have zero step entries, don't have zero step showers, where we're not designing for the age continuum and the ability continuum, we shouldn't be jumping over all of that and just focusing on technology solutions. So the fix, in my opinion, is simple. Um, We shift how we design our housing and communities. And then we also um, use technology in a supportive way. So to to pursue this further, First, I think we need to make sure that technology is bridging the gaps in needs and services, and especially freeing up people to do what they do best. For example, um, providing attentive care. Secondly, we need to make sure that we have the infrastructure to support technology. Many communities lack adequate broadband. And um, an example I always like to share is that in 2015, before the COVID pandemic, the Coachella Valley School District began parking Wi-Fi enabled school buses in the remote areas of the district so that all students could have internet access and do their homework. So we need that kind of out of the box thinking, but we also need a massive investment in infrastructure similar to the Rural Electrification Act in the early 1900s. I I think that's really, I've noticed that is a case in senior living that a lot of the communities just spent the first year of COVID trying to just get broadband for everyone so they could contact family and just like those basics. So I I see that on the senior living side of things. Um, Yes, I have a a couple more things to add on that. Yeah, please. So the third thing is that technology must be designed to be successfully used by older adults, their adult children, and people who are under stress. So 
much of the technology that I have seen that is intended for the older adult population um, has not been designed accordingly. And you asked what um, excites me about technology. And I would say that it's the ability to slightly shift the design of existing technologies to enable them to work really well for the adult, older adult population. So one example um, that's already happening to a certain extent is older adults using smartwatches as a, a personal emergency response device. Yeah. And the next step is shifting that to use in a hospital or something comparable in a hospital um, and in a way that doesn't look institutional or super medical. But I know every time my mother was in the hospital, before I would leave the room or leave for the night, I would look to make sure that her call button was within reach. And then, of course, I'd come in um, later and it was hanging out of the bed because, you know, she needed to be shifted. She needed something needed to be done to her and the device was without out of reach. So having it on the person, it can be really valuable and also changing the design to, to normalize it. Another thing to think about with shifting technology slightly is something that I recently explored in a symposium at the Cornell Institute for Healthy Futures where I'm an industry scholar, um, they held a charrette on reimagining assisted living. And the problem that my team looked at was the issues of in senior living, calling for help and not knowing what's happening, not knowing how quickly um, an aide is coming or a staff member is coming to assist. So simple things like how can we adopt technology from rideshare programs that show the process of where your driver is and how long the wait is? Um, and, and it may be that some um, call systems and senior living are already doing that. But that's the kind of thing that we can be pulling from tech. And the last point I want to make, actually, there's two points I'd like to make. One is that there's a lot of basic household technology, like um, having motion sensors for lighting, making sure that your HVAC system is controlled via an app. Um, these are things that can help seniors. And the last most important point is we need to reject the concept that older people can't use technology. My own mother grew up in Hungary in a home without indoor plumbing. English was her second language. In her 80s, she learned to use the computer and was still Googling and emailing until shortly before she died at 92 and she had vascular dementia. So let's shift the paradigm and um, figure out ways to get technology to really work for older adults. Well, that, that's such great advice. And I, I want to segue back for a minute to um, the house that you built for your mom. And um, I, I started out this podcast really talking about senior living and quickly found that 
this whole concept that nine out of 10 people want to age in place for better or for worse, right? Right. Um, so talk to our audience about aging in place. What do you want them to know about it? First of all, the focus should not be on aging in place. It should be on thriving in place. So we need to ask ourselves and our communities what's needed to successfully age in place. Because one is if we change the design of housing, uh, single family housing, for example, or multifamily housing to make it really successful for older adults, we want to make sure that people are not trapped within an enabling house, but struggling to function in the community. So individuals, families, senior living communities, municipalities, and the government need to be proactive. Just like we should invest in healthy living for our bodies, we must make informed choices for the design of the built environment. There's an article on my website under the tab for financial planners that's all about leveraging home design features as a crucial aspect of retirement planning. Simple features like wider doorways, zero-step entries, no changes in flooring level, enabled her not only to maintain her physical independence and age in her home of choice, but it enabled her to maintain her financial independence. And then the other thing that I would say regarding aging in place is thinking about quality of life and letting go of preconceived notions. So because my mother had to move her mother to a skilled nursing facility because she could not care for her successfully at home, my mother had this concept that moving to any type of senior living was going to be horrible. And senior living has come a long way. There are categories of senior living that didn't exist uh, 50 years ago. And senior living can be a really valuable option for people um, if it's well-designed. And the environment, not only physically, but in terms of the protocol of care, the services, the activities are enabling. It can be a great option for living in a community. I completely agree. And it seems like there's more and more hybrids and and senior living as a service, seeing where, you know, they go out into the communities with what they do best, which is building community and engagement and um, socialization, culinary, you know, all, all that kind of stuff they can bring bring out um, into the communities at large. But I feel like there'll be more natural occurring uh, senior retirement places. I'm sure you feel the same way. Yes. And I, you know, years ago, I advised a client that um, had a CCRC, a continuing care retirement community to take advantage of their reputation and branch out into the community. Um, And you're absolutely right. There's so much that a senior living provider can offer to people who are aging in community, aging in their homes, because we talked about issues of not being housebound. Like can, 
can the senior living provider offer you transportation? Can they offer you activities? Can they offer you socialization? For senior living providers, it's a really attractive offering to consider because increasingly the, um, the older adults that are coming into um, the senior living age range or are people who are aging into senior living um, can't afford senior living. Yeah. They're not going to be able <laughs> um, but they need the services. Right. And the other thing that I also advise this client that I think is an enormous opportunity for senior living providers is to partner with experts on home modifications. And of course, there's a huge issue about can somebody afford home modifications? But one thing that I always tell people is to conduct a cost-benefit analysis. What is the cost of modifying your home versus moving to senior living? And um, that may tell you that moving to senior living is a better option for you, or it may um, enable you to feel that you can afford to modify your existing home. But it's interesting, you know, I met a woman a few weeks ago at um, my local library and we got to talking. And when I told her what I do, she said, oh, you know, my husband and I moved into our house when we were in our mid thirties and now we're in our mid seventies. I really wish we had thought about it because the house doesn't work for us. And my response was, well, why should you have to? You know, unless you're living in a tree house, we really shouldn't have a housing stock from coast to coast that um, that doesn't work for the lifespan. And it's yeah. fascinating because even ranch houses, uh, one story homes, and that was our family home that my my grandmother couldn't stay in. Um, a, a ranch house, just because it's single floor living doesn't mean that everything is going to work for you. So what's also terrific, though, is that when you design a home to work for the older adult population, those wider hallways and wider doorways and things within um, reach for more people enable everyone to thrive. That's what you were saying, this this whole universal concept. So, um, Esther, what gets you most excited these days? Oh, so much. Um, I love this work. I love the work that I do, and I'm so gra grateful for being able to do it. And because we face a growing older adult population, this means that we are facing a growing demand for long-term care. But not only is the older adult population growing, but the younger populations are shrinking. In 2010, we had approximately seven potential caregivers for every one older adult. By 2050, it will be less than three. So the question that I'm really fascinated by is how do we provide quality care when demand is growing exponentially and supply, which is already constrained, is declining. So I have the answer, and it's we apply the enabling design approach 
to leverage the design of our built environments to reduce demand for long-term care and enable people to thrive. I love that. And clearly um, people are listening because you're a very busy woman, got a lot on your plate and you're an expert in your field. And Esther, I thank you so much for being here with us today. Nancy, thank you for this podcast and all the valuable information that you share and the opportunity to share my meaningful work with you and your listeners. Thank you. You've been listening to the Glowing Older Podcast.